Christopher Lloyd, and I'm once again joined by my good friend and guest, Ed Johnson Ott of Nouveau News Weekly. Hello, Chris. Good to be with you. I know we're not doing these podcasts nearly as frequently as we once did, um, but hey, we're just, you know, whenever we feel like it and we've got the time and we've got a topic we want to talk about, we'll do one. So, it is Oscar weekend coming up here, so we thought we would chat about the Academy Awards. So, like, Ed, where are you on the um, caring about the Academy scale? Because so many people make a big show of, like, ah, oh, the Oscars, they're a waste of time, and it's all the best movie never wins, and I don't care. You know, I freely admit I am, you know, an, at the 11 on the 10-point scale with the Oscars. I care fiercely about them, way more than is healthy or normal. So where where would you fall? I I'm always... Watch. I watch every year. I'm interested every year. I, I was reflecting on how it's changed the interest level in general. Yeah, what uh, what changes for you? Like, what makes your interest go up or go down with each year? Well, in general, if the, here's the thing. I mean, I've been doing this for over 20 years every year in Nouveau. The lot, this was routinely our cover story. I mean, we, never, we didn't even discuss it. It was always the cover story. It hasn't been a cover story in like four or five years. Um, it, I think all the other groups, so many groups putting their shows ahead of the Oscars has chipped at the interest level. Yeah. You know, with the general public at least. Um, it's not as big a deal as it used to be. Um, I still can't resist it though. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, the ratings and everything for it seem to go up and down. There always seems like a there's at least like a base level of, you know, your average person probably cares about them at least a little bit. You know, the ratings are, you know, something like a billion people worldwide watch it every year. Um, one thing I'll, I'll comment on before we get down to the awards themselves is th this habit lately of casting TV people as the host I liked it when they had a movie person hosting a movie show. So, like, you know, when Billy Crystal, who was a uh, big movie star for many, many years, and he hosted it all the time, and I liked that. And lately, it's been, you know, like we, ha we have Jimmy Kimmel this year, which I like. Jimmy, yeah. I like Jimmy Kimmel, but you know, he's I don't, I don't know if he's ever even been in a movie or had anything to do with a movie. You know, Ellen DeGeneres, you know, she did a couple of voices for Pixar movies, but you know, again, not really a movie person. We had. Uh, the Family Guy guy whose name I can't remember. Yeah, he did a few. Of course, although now since then it's become clear that he really wants to be a movie star um, with those Teddy movies and that awful Western thing. So, I don't know. I, I, I like the old days. You know, Bob Hope um, when they had... I mean, I agree. Like, Johnny Carson did it for a while, but I don't know. You can go argue either way of, well, it's a TV show about movies, so you have a TV guy. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, it, it, in the old days, part of the fun was watching the host cut through the pomp, you know, and, and say a few irreverent remarks, get on, get on the edge a little bit. But they, it was different then because that didn't happen so incessantly everywhere. You know, right now, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, okay, Jimmy's going to come and say scathing remarks. Um, it won't be as bad as Ricky, Ger Ricky Gervais saying scathing remarks, but, I mean, everybody's going to be slashed to death, you know? Yeah. This year, particularly with the political climate, 
I think we're going to have a lot of political speeches from the podium. Um, it's almost to the point of like the order that they do it. You know, if you're like the twelfth guy to get up there and wants to make his, you know, anti-Trump speech, it's, at some point it's just going to get boring. You know, <laughs> I don't mind. I really don't mind people doing that. I mean, to me, it's it's their moment in the sun. If they want to use it to make whatever political statement, I mean, to me, I don't really care. Um, but yeah, I feel like you know, again, if you're, it's like every single person. There's 24 categories. So like, is is every all 24 gonna somehow try, gotta get like their Meryl Streep moment in? I don't know. I'm I'm sort of. I'm sort of looking forward to that and dreading it at the same time. As I put put in my article, you know, it's, you're going to have a lot of people thinking, convinced going in, that their golden oratory, their choice of words, will be so scurry that Trump will turn over the White House to Canadian Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll do some handstands, uh, you know, just to show off how buff and awesome he is. Because uh, apparently that's his thing. All right, well, let's talk about the the movie. And I don't think, you know, we're actually not going to sit here and go through all 24 categories. Um, Ed has his prediction piece up, his predictions and picks up at Nouveau News Weekly. So you can go check those out. And tomorrow, I think as we're recording this, by the time the this podcast is up, my picks will also be up. So go to the film app, go to Nouveau, and you can actually read through our thoughts on each category. We're just going to sort of hop around and talk about what interests us so I'll let you start like what's what's the most interesting thing or race or award or theme going on this year that, that you think is interesting I guess the La La Land it's like you know is, is it going to storm its way through the awards or has it has that happened enough that maybe they might be going for some alternate choices you know, um, and I hope I hope so just to make it interesting. Yeah. Now, the the one thing that people are talking about, you know, so it's nominated for fourteen awards, which ties I think all about Eve from the most ever, um, and I believe twelve is the most wins, which I believe two movies. I think uh, the Lord of the Rings, the the last one, the Return of the King. I I think maybe it was all about Eve was the other one, actually won twelve. So, um, you can already write off one category, which is Best Actor. Ryan Gosling has no shot at that, um, according to all the pre-prognostications we've read and written. Um, So, you know, but still, so they've got a shot. If they they run the table on everything else, they could win 13 and set a new record for most Oscar wins, which, again, I don't mind it because I like anything that gets people excited about movies and talking about movies, but... You know, here's here's my thing about the Oscar field this year. You know, I thought there was a, it was a very much above average year for movies. There was a lot of really, 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 really good movies, and I know that not all of my favorites are going to get Best Picture nominations, but a number of them did. But the ones that seem to be really leading the 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 conversation are not disappointments to me, but to to me they're they're good not great movies and to me that's where La La Land falls it's a good not great movie it's a great looking movie the music is wonderful the singing is not so wonderful um you know story wise it's got some interesting you know time the parallel uh, storylines going there but you know as I wrote about it you know it's it's kind of adorable but kind of inconsequential and more than you did but 
I just don't see it as a runaway Oscar winner, you know, running the table. I mean, to me, if it did, it would be basically saying that it was a very weak year for movies, which I don't think it was. It's it's a movie about, I mean, it's La La Land, Los Angeles, Hollywood, you know, and I mean, it's its title is aimed at the people that are voting. That's, you know, it, it's about singing and dancing and wanting to be a star. Yeah. You know? And it's in, and the people that are voting all want to do that. Yeah. They are stars who they're dying to be. Yeah. You know? It's, well, what did you call it in your article? Like, it's the Hollywood Employee Participation Awards or something like that? Uh, uh yeah. <laughs> employee of the Year. The employee Recognition Award. Yeah, employee, employee Recognition. Yeah, it is. And Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. So I think that's what's going on here. And the fact that there's no real clear you know, second place, you know, dark horse, stalking horse, whatever you want to call it. Except we know better. You and I know that that Hell or High Water is, I mean, I, I, I swear to you, 20 years from now, when people are flipping on their cable channels or whatever the equivalent is then, and they, there are certain movies that when they see what's what it is, you just stop and watch. Yeah. Hell or High are just going to be one of those movies. I hope that's yeah. the I hope that's the case. Uh, and it's the only one I think on this list that is one of those movies. Yeah, uh, I'm just, I think Fences is all that was also on my top ten list is really really good. It's, uh, yeah, it's strong. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it's typical with the Oscars is that you know they they don't reward the absolute best films and sometimes don't even nominate the most deserving. Nominees. That's that's kind of where I get cheesed off. Is less about who wins, but people who get left out. Like you know, we've discussed um, Rebecca Hall was in a tiny, tiny movie called Christine that was just amazing, um, and for me was the performance of the year. Any gender, any category, um, I thought that was the be- the best performance I saw all year in the movies. And it's a shame that a film like that doesn't get nominated. Usually. I'll say this as a theme for this year is usually the best actor category is super super busy, you know, lots of snubs, lots of vying, who's going to win, and the best actress category is kind of the the field is usually weak. It's usually like a clear favorite, one or two stalking horses, and a couple of fillers that no one really thinks that was the best. But it's like we needed two more to round it out. If we put you in Best Supporting Actress, you've got, you've got this award nailed. And they convinced her, and she's in that category, and she will win. Absolutely, for sure, it's going to win. But here's the thing. She doesn't belong there because it's a lead actress performance, and if her name had been in this category in lead actress, she would win there too. You know, uh, it's just, it's frustrating to see her in the wrong category, and it's frustrating that she's not going to win for the right category. Yeah, I call it category hopping, and, you know, it was pretty brazen this year, not once but twice. Viola Davis' supporting performance, which is ridiculous. I mean, she played the same role on Broadway just a few years ago with much Denzel Washington and much of the same cast, where she was nominated for a Tony for Best Actress not for supporting actress. I mean, the story was written as the story of these two people with all these other supporting characters. And, yeah, you could definitely say, you know, thematically, story-wise, it's more about him than it is about her, but that's a leading role. Um, I think even more egregious, though, 
is Dev Patel in Lion being nominated for supporting actor, which oh. is, which is just I mean it's so ridiculous that it's just doesn't even make me angry. It's hilarious. I mean, he's the star of the movie. His face is on all the posters. The title is the, his character's name. Um, you know, granted, you know, the story is split in two, and roughly the first half, a young boy actor plays the same role, and then he takes over. But still, I mean, by any measure, screen time, centrality of the story, lines of dialogue, however you want to count it up, that is so a, a leading role. And the fact that he got nominated there really bothers me, because there was a lot, lot, lot of other Best Supporting Actors um, that you could have uh, put in that category. And I'll name just a couple of them. Um, Timothy Spall from Denial, or, or Tom Wilkinson, also from Denial. A pair of great supporting performances. Um, Stephen Henderson in Fences. Kevin Costner in Hidden Animals, uh, Hidden Figures, and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson from Nocturnal Animals. He actually won the Golden Globe and did get nominated. So this one, that one seems to be Mahershala Ali's to win, which I'm fine with. He was really good in that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, Dev Patel getting nominated there. Just come on, guys. Category hopping. Usually we've seen category hopping with screenplays where they try and pass off a, you know, something that's been adapted as an original because there's it's considered to be less competitive in that category. But not one, but two acting categories this year that just, they're really got their, yeah, they're cheating. And sometimes, you see, Meryl Streep and Florence Foster Jenkins surprised and bothered me in that the movie, the movie isn't that good. Um... It's a routine Meryl Streep performance. It's, I mean, it's just hard to imagine anyone watching that performance and saying that's the best actress. Yeah. You know. Especially with, that is, you know, an American remake of a French movie, um, I think also from last year, at least it also made to our shores last year in the spring. I can't, for the title that is escaping, but I believe Catherine Frote, F-R-O-T, I'm not sure how you pronounce that in the French idiom. But um, she uh, she won the uh, I believe the César the uh, French equivalent of the Academy Award for that role and you know frankly was much better than Streep and that's there's a sentence you don't hear people say very much very often is she was better than Meryl Streep yeah yeah I I just wish I, instead of her name Viola Davis's name was there because that's how it should be okay being up to be a run away for La La Land, it, it kind of makes it a little boring, plus I like it when they mix it up with the quote-unquote minor awards, and I hate the term, but I, I use it because I recognize that other people use it, but you know, cinematography kind of being the biggest of the minor awards, you know, costumes, production design, sound mixing, and sound editing, which I don't think even half the Academy, Academy mem members could describe the difference between those two if quizzed on the spot. Um, right. And when you do have years where it's a runaway, um, what happens is people just sort of end up voting for the runaway. So it's like, oh, well, La La Land was so great, so it has the best sound mixing. No, it didn't. You know, whatever you want to say about Hacksaw Ridge, that had an amazing sound in it. Um, yeah. 
So I think we're going to see that. I like I tend to like years like last year where they really mixed it up. You know, the one the guy who the, you know the film that won Best Picture did not win Best Director and did not win any acting awards spotlight. Um, and I I like that one. They actually you know I loved I loved a few years ago when Ang Lee won the directing award for Life of Pi and a big upset. I love that because whatever you wanted to say about that movie, it was the film that most represented that a, a director's singular vision. And I love that that when they I, I tend to like it when they mix it up some more. Yeah, and it, it would have been great to see some out of left field thing like the lobster. You know, get, get a little more attention um, when they can go up to up to, to ten nominees and they stop at nine. There were there were things out there that just would have been really fun to see, and they're just to stir thing up things up, nothing else. Yeah, like one of my favorites, um, you know, were Monster Calls that almost nobody <laughs> nobody even saw. Silence, the, I think a great Martin Scorsese movie, which I think I think Scorsese and the, the studio deliberately did not put it out there for critics and awards group because they just don't care about that. But I mean, right. I, you know, I, I think if you know that film had like come out in late November and gotten the traditional run up. Um, I think we absolutely would have seen silence in there in the best picture field. Everybody wants some. Um, a film I just love, which tiny, you know, the tiny, tiny, tiny box office, not the sort of thing that's going to get best picture none. One I've actually heard a lot of people talk about, I actually read an interview with Jimmy Kimmel talking about it, was he wished that Deadpool had got a best picture nomination. And I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, I don't care if it's a superhero movie and it's a gross out comedy. It was some of the cleverest, smartest movie making of the year. I think a Deadpool the Deadpool nomination in the Best Picture category was <coughs> really appropriate. And, and like it made it more fun. Yeah. I mean the, it was almost like when they you know, when they changed it from five to up to ten, it was sort of the dark night effect of that like hey we want to see some of these like superhero movies or quote unquote popular movies get nominated um, and now it seems like it's, you know, with this, because they, they started out with saying, now we're going to have 10, and then I think the year after that they changed it to, well, it'll be, be between 5 and 10. And, I mean, the first years of the Academy when they gave it out, it was always 10. I don't know why they can't just go back and say, it's 10. You know, so we've had, I think, 9 for like the last three years in a row. And you know there was some movie out there that was just get kicking itself because it could have been 10 and didn't. And Hidden Figures is the biggest moneymaker of the, of the nominees. Yeah, of if you include just domestic. Um, if domestic. you include f domestic and foreign, La La Land is way ahead of it. It's actually made like $350 million worldwide, um, which is a spectacular for a film, I think, that costs like 40 or $50 million to make. Um, but yeah, I think someone else mentioned none of the nine films nominated um, other than those two have made more than $100 million, which is kind of the traditional threshold of being a blockbuster. I actually have a pred prediction of if there's going to be an upset in the best picture category, I don't think there will, but if it is, I think it'll be hidden figures um, because that film's, you know, well-loved. I like it, but like to me it's like La La Land, Moonlight, Hidden Figures, Lion, well-made films. To me, they're not in the tippy-top of cinema from the last year um, but uh, Hidden Figures has gotten a lot of mojo and it actually won the Best Feature award from the Screen Actors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild 
um, you know, is, actors are the largest voting block of the Academy. So I think I think Hidden Figures has a chance to do a crash type of upset. Um, and, and the Screen Actors Guild omitted La La Land. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I should also mention uh, the other thing we alluded to earlier is so for the longest time the one category that had seemed locked up was Best Actor. Um, Casey Affleck I think gave the performance male male leading performance of the year. Um, in Manchester by the Sea, just you know, great layered performance. I, you know, I love it when people do that sort of character that's so interior and yet you know lets us peep in through the keyhole and really kind of see what's going inside the guy. That's just so hard to do. Um, and he had been had been winning all the preliminary awards, <clears throat> but I but two things are going on. And you and I referenced this right before we got on the air here, which is just within the last 24 hours, things have kind of switched. And now a lot of people are predicting that Denzel Washington is going to beat out Casey Affleck um, for a couple of reasons. And it's less, I mean, I think everyone thought Denzel was great in that. Um, he would probably be my number two pick of the, of the group. But two things have happened is, and, and this is true, I, I read this in a couple of sources, is that people feel that Casey Affleck's acceptance speeches at all of these preliminary awards have been rather flat and lifeless. Uh -huh. Like he isn't been, you know, effusive enough in his thanking everyone. And, you know, because I think that's what people want to see is they want to see people, you know, go crazy and lose their stuff. And he's just been like, thanks, this is a great honor. <laughs> so because his speeches have been up to snuff. And the other thing, I don't know how much of a role this is playing, but is it's come to light that you know he was sued for sexual harassment for um, a couple of people on the set of that film that he shot uh, uh, a few years ago. Um, uh, I can't remember it was with the actor who uh, uh, sort of dropped out of acting and then came back for a while. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I, 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 can't, I can't remember what the name of the film was, but you know, so you know they he was sued. I think they settled out of court. Um, but somehow that's coming back to haunt him, um, much in the same way uh, as uh, Nate Parker with um, uh, The Birth of a Nation, which I still was one of my favorite films of the year. And the way that thing just got beaten on, I mean, just really, that, that movie just got stomped all over on it because of the guy's past, which, you know, without rehashing everything, I mean, he was accused of stuff, he was put on trial, and he was adjudicated innocent um, and I don't know to me to hold to, to, to kill someone's creative work 17 or 18 years later based on the fact that they were accused of something and found not guilty to me is just tremendously unfair now in Casey Affleck's case I think it's less the allegations made against him and more the boring acceptance species uh and all, I mean, you combine that with, we've seen Denzel. We know when, with Denzel Washington, when he wins an award, he's going to stride up to that stage. He's going to stand confidently beaming at the crowd. And then he's going to launch into a whale of a speech. Yes. And it's not preachy. It's not going to be political. It's just going to be powerful and assured and inspirational. 
because my God, that's what Denzel does. Right, because Denzel's been around for thirty years, and he's you know he's done this. He knows how to play the game, where I think maybe Casey Affleck doesn't. Um, and he needs it. I mean, you know, he's not performing when he does that stuff. He needs it. That's the guy he is. Yeah, and we we I don't think we can discount the effect of the Oscars so white controversy from last year, which I think was fair and unfair. Um, I think it was definitely brought attention to a great problem, which is, you know, black talent, black actors, black filmmakers, not, and really not just black, you know, Latino, Asian American, Arab, and so forth, you know, always being at the margins, you know, not being the first choice for anything. Um, and I thought that was a very powerful message. But the problem was that they just didn't have the movies last year. I mean, you know, the, the highest profile, quote unquote, you know, movie that had a lot of people of color involved in it was Selma, which I had a lot of problems with. I just don't, I don't, I think, I think a lot of other people thought was just not that great of a movie. It was a good movie, not a great movie. And it was like this audacious, you know, terror of like horror, how you can not nominate my film for more than best song and best picture. It's like, well, because it wasn't that good, damn it. So now we've got a year, we've got a lot of great movies, um, you know, made by people of color, starring people of color. So another corollary of this is if Denzel takes that spot, Viola Davis has pretty much got supporting actress locked up, Mahershala Ali has got supporting actor locked up, we would then have three out of the four acting awards going to an African-American, which would be just mind-bogglingly historic. And possibly, because Best Actress is very much in flux, I mean, you never know. Maybe Ruth Naga could win that. And would be. Imagine if we had four out of four going to black actors. That would be gobsmacking. You would, it's not going to happen with Ruth Negga, though. No, I don't think so. I, I wish it did. I, she was my favorite performance of the five actresses nominated, but, um, but Sarah, e even three out of four, I oh, think, I think we would get a lot of attention. An amazing thing. I read an article today about um, <coughs> older actors that are being eased out of the Academy. They, they, they received notices saying, they could stay members, but they would be non-voting members. Yeah, well, it's part of the whole thing with the academy on trying to live up to their promise to get an, a, a, a voting block. Yeah, a base that was more reflective of the population. Yeah, and they've yeah. and they've added a lot of young people, and they've tried to make sure that a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of diversity in the new members. I'm, I love I love that part. I don't like them booting old people. I mean, granted, the the average age of the Academy voter is something like sixty nine or something. Um, you know, it is way way old. And you can make an argument that you know you've got people in their eighties who you know haven't been actively involved in filmmaking for twenty or thirty years. You know, having undue influence, but that's kind of one of those you know major bones thing. You know, I, I don't like the idea of you know, someone having been a voter in the Academy for decades, and they're like, well, you're old and irrelevant now, so go away. That's not really that's not really a great message to be putting out either. Um, if they want to be reflective of, and that's, of the, you know, they need, they need to get a, a wide, broaden their base. I agree with that. But to me, you, you do that by adding, not by subtracting, you know. Cause, yeah. 
Um, well, here's here's the thing, and someone was saying this to me in a uh, in a joking way, but uh, so uh, I think so. Was it last year we didn't have we we didn't have any actors of color nominated, or was there just one out of the twenty? I can't remember the number. I think it was none. Uh, or uh, two years ago, I, I don't. Yeah, it was not. It was not something to be proud of. Yeah, and then you know, then getting into the even thing of who wins. Well, if we had three out of four black actors win this year, so if I'm doing the math right, um, African Americans are right about twelve, twelve and a half percent, thirteen percent of the American population, which means right about one out of eight. Um, so that would mean that you know, using the law of averages, if everything was equal, that would mean every two years one of the actor winners would be black. So that would be four, you know, four winner acting winners per year. So that would mean every two years one black actor would win to be in line with our population demographics. So that means that if three out of the four win this year, that means. No black actors are going to get any awards for like five years because they got theirs, <laughs> which I certainly hope that's not true. Um, but uh, uh, to me, I care more about giving it to the person who I think is most deserving, or at least deserving, if it's not the one I think is. I think Casey Affleck gave a greater. It was, let's put that his performance in Manchester by the Sea was the great easily the greatest performance of his career. I don't think anyone would doubt that. And I'm not sure if a lot of people would say Fences was the, the greatest performance of Denzel Washington's career, or even in the top four or five, really. I mean, he's really, really good in it, but he's done so much other good work that, you know, I don't know, it, it's kind of like, you know, he's he's kind of got the opposite thing going of Tom Hanks. Is that, you know, Tom Hanks won it two years in a row, and really hasn't been nominated all that much since. I think he's squeaked in once or twice since then. But, you know, he gives a great performance pretty much every year in something and, you know, doesn't get nominated. Um, right. Whereas Denzel seems to kind of be the other way is that, you know, they'll tend to throw him a nomination just on the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if that's a fair observation or not. I think the nomination is more for Denzel and not for the performance. Yeah, and you get that. Uh, our great friend Matthew Sosi of uh, WFYI um, has made the observation that getting nominated for an acting Oscar is much like being named to an NBA All-Star team, which is to say it's hard to get that first nod. Um, you know, you've got people like uh, Gordon Hayward, great local basketball player here at Butler, who's been a terrific player out in Utah for a number of years now, putting up fantastic numbers, um, and just this year finally got, you know, an NBA All-Star nod. Um, so that's kind of what it is. It's like you got to, you know, every now and then you get like someone coming out of nowhere, like Lucas Hedges um, for Manchester by the Sea. But, you know, it's, generally you got to be around, be in a few good things, make some good performances, get some good notices, and then you'll get nominated. But once you get that first one, it's so much easier to keep getting nominated. Um, I think we've got some of that this year. Meryl Streep we mentioned. I think Octavia Spencer in Hidden Figures. Hardly, I, I don't think even she would say she gave the best performance even in that movie. Um, but, you know, she was nominated before and won before, so she's in like Flynn. Um, that's unfortunate, just because, I mean, 
it, it's nice to, to recognize someone's a great actor year in year out, but it's hard for anyone, I think, to really step back and say, "Oh yeah, Octavia Spencer, that was her best performance." In in you know that that yeah, you know, to me, that's not even in her top five. Yeah, and I, it's I mean, it just it, it accents the the silliness of putting pitting one performer against another in, in acting, you know, or it's just that's a ridiculous idea. We're used to it, but there's you know, unless they're all performing the same piece, you know, it, it's 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 apples and oranges a lot of the time. Yeah, Most, yeah, it really is. Um, it's you know, and this year, unfortunately, I I look at the list and I don't see as much fun as I do in a typical year. Yeah, how many of the documentaries did you get to? Because, um, like I said, I I was lucky this year that I was able to. I saw sixty three out of the sixty four nominated films, all the shorts, documentary shorts, live action short films. Um, Everything. The only one I wasn't able to get to was My Life is a Zucchini, uh, just because they're not. <laughs> I begged them to let me have a screener, but they just ignored me. Um, I even watched um, the one documentary that was nominated, but not for documentary. It was nominated for best song. That was Jim, the James Foley story, which actually was really good. Um, it's been commented by you and me with the Indiana Film Journalists Association with our awards that it was a really strong year for documentaries this year. But I look at the list of five feature documentaries nominated and you know to me none of them represent the five best documentaries of the year like when I was doing my picks and predictions I always do a thing I call the crisscross where I cross out someone that I think is not deserving to replace them that I think that is I crossed out I crossed out the entire field all five all five of them gone and it was not hard to find five better ones you know starting with like uh, Wiener uh, and JT, author of the JT Leroy story, um, uh, some uh, some local ones from here in Indiana that we mentioned was The Invisible Patients um, was a really good one. Command and Control was a really good one. And Night School, which is a very terrific uh, documentary set here in Indianapolis, I you know I would take any of those over the list. Should we formally complain about OJ here or? Yes, yeah, you and I formed the, un- alas, unfortunately small voting block amongst IFJA, um, the purists, the brave and dowdy ones, the handsome ones, uh, <laughs> arguing what I think is the truth, which is that OJ, Made in America, while otherwise a fine documentary, and it is very good, I don't think it's as good as people are saying, but it's it's quite good, and what it is is a very, very good Television documentary miniseries, which um, was made by by um, ESPN. Yeah, it was for ESPN TV series Thirty for Thirty. Yeah, and it and it played on ESPN and I think later on ABC. It played one time, I think, at a film festival at the beginning of the year. Literally, in Tribeca, I believe. Yeah, literally, you know, and then it played. Um, you know the the usual nominal you know played for in one theater in Los Angeles and one theater in New York for a week just to qualify, and then it played on TV, which is how most everybody experienced over five I think it was five nights it played two an hours. eight hour show an eight hour production <coughs> yeah 
yeah, seven hours. I think seven hours, forty-seven minutes. Um, expanded out to ten, ten hours when you add the commercials. Um, and yes, I, I've researched this. It will be eligible for an Emmy in the next award cycle, not the one that just went past, but the, the next one coming up. So you're going to have a film that's quite possibly going to win an Emmy and an Oscar. I don't know how you do that. Um, and, uh, you know, my, and my final piece of evidence I say to it is that, you know, so when we watched it, we watched it with, through, through a DVD that they gave us. And as you're watching, you'll notice that like every 15 minutes or so, it fades to black like clockwork. Well, that's where they put in the commercial breaks. And I've, I've read these interviews with the filmmaker Ezra Elliman where he's like, no, 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 I, I always meant for it to be a movie. It's like, well, nobody means for their movie to be eight hours long. And even if they do mean for their movie to be eight hours long, they don't consciously put in fade-outs and fade-ins for commercials. I mean, show me one other feature filmmaker out there who's in the editing bay with his his or her editor saying, all right, and here you need to put in a fade-in fade-out. It's like, why? Well, that's where I'm putting in my commercials that are in my movie. No. No. And I realize we are the lonely voices. We are the lonely voices amongst the Indiana film critics, and we're going to be the lonely voices here at a national level because it's almost certainly going to win, but I don't care. You know, everybody... Everybody else is wrong, and we are right. Absolutely. Um, so of those that are left, I will take Life Animated, which is kind of a, you know, sentimental piece, but an autistic young man who kind of reconnects with his family through Disney animated films. It's a sentimental choice. Um, if there's anything that has a chance to knock it off, uh, OJ, that's it. Liked I Am Not Your Negro, um, kind of wish it had been more about James Baldwin than just his ideas and his, you know, um, agitation for civil rights and like that. You know, it, liked it, didn't love it. Um, 13th, as I've mentioned, I have a lot of problems with it because it takes such tremendous liberties with basic facts. Um, I actually did something I hardly ever do. I actually turned it off about three quarters of the way through because I was so angry at it for just blatantly lying about stuff. Um, I did watch the rest of it um, later on, but that one. And did you see Fire at Sea? That's the one about the re refugee crisis in the Mediterranean? No. It's a very curious film. Um, so it's, he, he, the director made this very conscious choice, you know, set on this tiny little island. And actually, if you go in the documentary shorts, there's actually three films about the... Um, Syrian crisis and or the refugee crisis, including another one about a different island in the Mediterranean where people are going at sea on these rescue boats to pull the refugees out of the water and people are dying. It's terrible. But he, so he made this conscious choice of to <coughs> cut back and forth between the, like the normal idyllic life on the island and then the people going out and all this horror of them pulling these you know cold wet bodies out of the ocean. And the thing is, that would work if, like, at some point they intersect it, but they don't. And so you just, like, you're following this kid around where he's, like, you know, a 12-year-old kid out, you know, making a slingshot and, you know, trying to kill birds with his slingshot. And, you know, and then he, like, has a lazy eye, so he has to go to the doctor and have a patch put on his eye. And, 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 and you know, and like, like, he's at home with his dad um, and his grandfather. And there's this scene where, you know, I joke about it, but, like, literally the family sits around for five minutes slurping noodles. And maybe every 30 seconds, somebody will say something pretty inconsequential. 
and then they slurp some more noodles, and this yeah. and this just goes on and on, and then they'll cut to the next scene. Like, okay, now we're back at the sea and the horror of people being rescued, and you know, and I, I mean, it, it, to me, it was like the Terrence Malick of documentaries. It's like you know, trying to put all this other you know nature and you know cross cutting this to show you the conflict and the dichotomy, and I, just, I mean, it was so languidly paced. I, I just was bored out of my mind for much of it. Um, With the whole category, I mean, uh, normally you know, I do this the standard should win, will win. But with this one, I my lack of enthusiasm is shown by, for will win, I have OJ Made in America. For should win, I have not OJ Made in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Um, any other final things you want to comment on, like big surprises? To me, the one other big surprise that people really haven't talked about that much um, is Mel Gibson getting a Best Director nomination. And, you know, literally six months ago, if you had thrown that out to me as a possibility, I would have said, you are crazy. You know, he's still the most despised guy in Hollywood, and blah, blah, blah. And... I don't know. I was amazed by it. I mean, specifically because so Hacksaw Ridge got a Best Picture nomination. Andrew Garfield got a nomination. I thought was well deserved. Although I thought he was better playing a very similar character in Silence. Um, and then Mel got nominated for Best Director. And then I got some technical, you know, editing and sound um, well deserved nominations. But yeah, Mel gets. So is he? Is I mean, like I, I thought everyone hated him. So is he officially rehabilitated now? It, well, before, I mean, before it was him and Jodie Foster, and that was it. And apparently, Jodie has gotten to the rest of the world and convinced them that it's time for Mel to be left let back in with the rest of the class. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird the things that get you shunned in Hollywood. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, so the basic things we've got against Mel is, you know, he was arrested for drunk driving and said all these terribly anti-Semitic things, and. You know, there's a family history of that. If his dad saying a lot of anti-Semitic things, but you know, I don't think... all the uh, audio of him screaming horrific things at his wife. Right, that that too. So, and ten years it took about it took ten years for people to, to simmer down and say, well, let's see. You know, and I don't know. Yeah, versus you know, like Woody Allen. You know, I mean the old joke is he married his daughter that's not really accurate but you know still it, you know there was a girl who was a child in his household it was the daughter of his wife and her previous husband but you know she was raised up in their household together and then when she was very very young you know he started an affair with her while he was so you know I mean to me on a you know sexual level on a gender level and just you know being a good person level that is way way worse than what Mel Gibson did but Woody just trotted right along without really any kind of a dip in his career didn't he and Roman Polanski Roman Polanski oh yeah Oscar winning director Roman Polanski you know a convicted uh uh I don't want to say sodomite because that sounds too old-fashioned, but you know he was convicted of sodomy of a 13-year-old girl. You know, drugged her up and raped her. I mean, good lord. So I know. Yeah, you know, we we've got the 
some guy in trouble for that right now in pop culture that I'm, I don't even know who the guy is. I just know he's a celebrity somewhere. Yeah. And he's in, all in trouble for remarks about pedophilia. Yeah. So, like, here's a good question, uh, somewhat film-related, but we're wrapping things up. Is you know, So Bill Cosby is now persona non grata, <laughs> but accused of doing the exact same thing as Roman Polanski, drugging women and then raping them. Uh, in his case, there's multiple, multiple accusations. But still, I mean, like, he, you know, literally his, not just his career, but his entire status as a comedy icon, you know, got thrown down in a deep, dark hole overnight, and he's never coming back from that. So why, right. why, why is Bill Cosby excommunicated and Roman Polanski is not? I mean, explain that one to me. The contrast. Polanski was kind of skeevy to begin with, Bill Cosby was Bill Cosby, for God's sake. And then all of a sudden, is Bill Cosby's doing this slimy stuff. Yeah. You know, it's the Cause, contract. Because he was, he was America's dad. People forget that, you know, for, for, yeah. for, for the 80s and early the 90s, you know, people literally referred to him as America's dad. Yeah, and then they find out the dad slipping Mickeys to the girls. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't even... Yeah. The thing about that is, I don't even get that. And I know we're getting way off from the Oscars here, but is he's okay? So he's a big, super rich celebrity. If he wants to have sex with a bunch of women, I don't think there's really any impediment, you know, other than you know him and his wife and their marital vows. But I mean, you know, there's nothing stopping him. I mean, I think he could pretty much just go get a whole line of women to line up to sleep with him if he wanted to. So what's the appeal of doing it to an unconscious, unwilling person? Well, you know, I mean, you, you, you every so often, often you hear about guys getting rounded up at parks or rest stops for cruising, and it's like, why? What possible reason? There's something that eludes us that, you know, breaking the rules uh, uh, in this fashion is an attraction to some people. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't. Well, and this, and this is why uh, the film Wiener deserved to be nominated for an Oscar but did not. <laughs> well, anyway, we've got we've rambled on long enough. Um, so, like I said, we're not going to go through every single category. Go go, go see go read Ed's piece. Go read my piece if you want to see that. Um, I'm at o dot net. Well, anyway, Ed, thanks for joining me once again. Glad to come up, brother. All right. Well, take care, everyone. Enjoy the Oscars. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.